You're listening to the Pines Church Podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. I left last Sunday unexpectedly. I wasn't here, but because of, the, because of technology, I was able to kind of remote in and film that message for you. And so I appreciate that. For, so for those of you that may be joining us for the very first time, I'm going to kind of give a little recap on a personal level, and then we'll dive right into the message that I believe that the Holy Spirit has placed inside of my heart for each and every single one of us. And I didn't say you on purpose, because I need this just as much as you need it. But um, I had to leave last week because I found out that my father had fallen down the stairs. He's in stage four Parkinson's. He has early onset dementia. My mother found him at the bottom of the stairs um, in a pool of blood, and they rushed him to the hospital. He had blood on the brain. He had cracked and chipped some of his vertebrae. And um, he was in the hospital for a month in in, in a really slow recovery. And then we came to the point where he wasn't going to be able to live on his own. So I had to go out there. We... uh, we replaced his appliances. We uh, put everything that was in their house into storage. Um, and uh, we cleaned it, recarpeted it so we could rent it, so we could be able to pay for a nurse. And he moved in with my uh, brother. So that's why I was the last week. But I want to thank each and every single one of you um, that prayed. I could feel your prayers uh, covering me in the midst of it. It's a difficult thing, you know, when you see who I've deemed the strongest man in the world. Uh, not able to move uh, on on his own. And I know this is something that each and every single one of us have to face when, as our parents get older or unexpectedly taken from us. What do you do in the trials of life um, when all of a sudden your world is rocked? And I want to promise you that nowhere in Scripture it promises us a life of comfort, but it does one better. It promises us a comforter in the midst of the adversity, in the midst of the opposition and trials of life. And, and I want to I talk about that um, this week because as I took this time to, you know, help my father and to be, you know, to, to, to break down and take care of the things that needed to take care of, I also wanted to take opportunity to let him know how much he, he meant to me. And as I was doing that, as I was sharing I, everything that I could possibly ever want to say to my father, I thought to myself, why did I wait until this moment to, to, to share all of these things? Now, over the course of time, I have shared, I love you and, and thank you so much for believing in me, all, all of these different things, but there was a weightiness to it. And I just want to encourage each and every single one of you to not wait for that life-shattering event, to not wait for you know, the precipice of we're not promised tomorrow, but to reach out and to let your loved ones know how much you care for them. Really, we should be empty of words. Sometimes we hold on to these words that we, we think about our spouse, we think about our friend, we think about our coworkers, we think about our parents, but we're waiting for that romanticized Hollywood moment when the sun's just about to set and the kids are playing in the background and we're at the top of a hill right? And that's the moment that you're going to, you know, let your dad or your mother know how much you appreciate them. But can I just tell you, those moments really don't come like that. They usually come with your kids screaming uh, because he pooped in his pants and the other one punched him and he's repeating a word that he shouldn't. And, you know, and, and it's windy like that video and, and all, it's, all these things are going on and you just need to seize the moment, carpe diem, and take advantage of the, you know, of, of the time that you have now to share with one another how we feel. You know, the, I just shared that scripture, the power of life and death is in the tongue. 
um, we always think, well, you're going to speak death or you're going to speak life. But there's actually a third option. And that's where you keep that thing holstered and you don't speak anything. And that can be just as detrimental and just as dangerous. And then you live with the sorrow of regret and not having seized the moment and taken advantage of those times. I think the Bible tells us that there's going to be tears at the judgment seat. And you think, why? Our, our sins have all been eradicated. Like we're entering into heaven. How is there possibly going to be tears at the judgment seat? And I believe, and I don't know how this will actually break down, but when we, when we see God's plan for our life and we see what we actually lived, we're going to realize, man, I should have went all in. I should have shared with them how much they, they meant to me. I, I shouldn't have made such a big deal out of whatever it is, my hobby or work or relationships. You know, I, I should have went all in on the kingdom. And so I just share that as something I'm navigating to make sure what I took away from this moment is that when I, if I get to see my father again, I'm going to share all those things again. And, you know, now that I get to spend time with my wife, you know, I'm going to let her know. I'm going to give her everything that's swilling around inside of my head. I'm not going to wait for the anniversary to tell her how much I care about her. She's going to hear it every single day. And my kids are going to hear it the same. And I think that's the way that we were made to live. So that's a freebie that has nothing to do with the message today. But I just wanted to give you an update um, on those things. But I found myself as I emptied out my father's house and got it ready for rent and cleaned and painted and ripped up the floors um, and was able to share with him and pray over him and, and you know, tears. Then I was, as I was getting ready to board the plane, I'm, I'm like, well, now what? There's nothing left for me to do. How do I live knowing that my father's still battling these, you know, diseases and still struggling in this time? Am I going to see him again? And I, as I kind of opened up last week's message, as I've sat down and met with many of you, it seems to be a season that we're all navigating some pretty heavy stuff. In fact, two weeks ago when Jess and I came out of service, we felt, man, there's a really, there's a heaviness in the atmosphere. There's a heaviness in the room. And I think we're navigating things, not just as a nation, but on a personal level where things seem heavy. And it seems like, how am I going to make it through this? And so I want to give you um, some words of encouragement that I believe are going to fuel your hope. They're going to fuel your endurance. They're going to give you the ability to be able to persevere, not only persevere, but to be victorious on the other side of whatever you're facing. Because let's just be honest, every single one of us are facing something. And if you're one of those people that was built like me, last week I talked about joy, and I used to say, well, once I get through this, then I can be happy. Then I can be joyful. I just got to get through this. So I would kind of like grit myself and grind my way through it. But can I just tell you as somebody with a few years under their belt, once you get through this thing, it's just the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And Jesus promised us that. He said, if they hate me, they're going to hate you. That we've been called to go through this and share in the same sufferings we will face adversity and opposition in this life, but that God will sustain us and provide a joy and a peace in the midst of those things. And I want to give you some words from the Bible that are going to help you tap into that truth. So to open up today, I want to share with you out of First Thessalonians uh, 1, 2 through 6, and this is out of the NIV, and we'll just pick up. We always thank God for all of you. First of all, I want to stop there. I just love that. We always. That's something we can learn there. We always thank God for all of you. 
that goes back to what I was just sharing. You know, thank God for the people that he's placed in your life. Thank God for the job that you currently have. The Bible tells us in countless places to rejoice. Re is a preposition. It means to repeat, to take joy in the things that God has already done for us. That keeps gratitude in our hearts. But we'll continue. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. So there's that juxtaposition, the severe suffering that none of us want, but he promises us a joy in the midst of the severe suffering. I shared that quote last week from Amelia Boone, who's like an endurance uh, racer, and she said, you know, I may not be the, the strongest or the fastest, but I'm really good at suffering. And at first glance, you think, what is this woman, a masochist? But no, like there's something that we can learn. She knows in these races, she's going to come to a point where she begins to feel sorry for herself. But she's found a way in the midst of that suffering to tap into something that gives her an advantage above the people that are competing alongside her. Now, we're not competing with one another, but there's a truth in there that I want to help unpack, that there's a joy made available to us in the midst of the trials and tribulations of life. There's a peace made available to us that transcends human logic, that, def that de defies our circumstances and brings us above those things. And ladies and gentlemen, we'd be wise to study what that truth is so that we can find ourselves in positions of power in the midst of the storm. Now, I think we still have that scripture up and we could throw that back up for a second. Um, go to the previous one. It's all there. Okay. But I just wanted to highlight, it says we always thank God, produce the Father, your work produced by faith, love, and hope. And I want to talk to you the, the next few minutes about faith, love, and hope. And I think it's interesting that this scripture, and if you, I would encourage you to go back and read it for yourself, is making this correlation, faith, hope, and love with the Trinity, because it specifically mentions God the Father, uh, the, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit in this scripture related to those three different things. And so, number one, Jesus this is the first thing that stood out to me. He says, um, Paul is not talking, it says, in our Lord Jesus Christ, we have faith, love, and hope. Paul isn't talking about some new trendy psychological principle. He's describing the spiritual effects of being in a relationship with Jesus. Faith, love, and hope, which are in our Lord Jesus Christ, actually helps us tap into a reservoir 
of endurance. Why? Because Jesus walked this world as the son of man, as a human. And so he knows better than anyone what you're facing. Every emotion that's racing through your heart and every thought that's racing through your mind because he walked it out, leaning on his father's strength. So there's nobody better that we can go to than Jesus because he has walked these things out that we find ourselves in. Number two, I noticed that the relationship to God the Father, at the beginning of verse three, it says, God the Father, that Paul gives thanks for faith, love, and hope. In Thessalonians, he says, remembering before our God, Father. So evidently, God the Father has been instrumental for Paul in, in creating this faith, love, and hope because he thanks him for it at the end of this scripture. And then the third is the relationship with the Holy Spirit. Verse six tells us, spells out the evidence you became imitators of us and the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction, or it says suffering, with joy inspired by the Holy Spirit. So there's, there's, a, there's a joy that we can have in the midst of our adversity, in the midst of our suffering, because as you know, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. It's the Holy Spirit that's here on the earth, which is a beautiful thing, which is why Jesus told his disciples, it's actually better for you that I should go. I'm setting you up better. Because the disciples must have been thinking, Jesus, you're the one performing all the miracles. You just conquered death. Like we need you here to advance the kingdom. If we have you here, like we're going to take over the whole earth. And Jesus is saying, no, it's actually better for you that I should go. Why? Because Jesus was still a man. And if anybody wanted to talk to Jesus, they'd have to stand in a line. But the Holy Spirit can have 7.5 billion conversations in 123 different languages all at the same time because each and every single one of us have access to the Holy Spirit. So it's not like if I'm facing a storm in the Joya house, okay, and the Magoons are facing a storm, the Magoons are like, well, Jesus is talking to the Joyas right now. We got to wait for our breakthrough because he's working with them over there. No, the Holy Spirit is big enough to have, to, to meet us where we're at, comfort us, give us the wisdom on how we're going to navigate this simultaneously while working with the Magoons, giving them wisdom and providing a way out for them to be victorious in the midst of their storm. Times 7.5 billion or however many people are occupying the earth at any given time. And that is a revelation worth celebrating and spending time in. So the question is, when was the last time you talked to the Holy Spirit? When was the last time that you invited God in the midst of your brokenness and ugliness? Remember, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Sometimes we keep God at bay because we think, oh, I made a mess of these things. So really, I deserve this. It's my fault. I can't bring God into this. Can I tell you who's whispering that in your ear? It's the enemy. Because the enemy's number one game is to try to shame you and to try to guilt you. And to separate you from God. But always remember, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It doesn't matter what we've done. Okay, God is there to forgive. And repentance means that we turn away from our wickedness. We turn away from the broken way of doing things. And we embrace the truth of his word. So we have to have a teachable spirit. We have to have a correctable spirit. We look at correction. We look at teaching as if, I don't know everything. 
And there is going to be times that I need the wisdom of heaven to be able to navigate the storms of life. I also want to take, so what, what I take away from that as I highlight the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the midst of that letter to the Thessalonians is this. God's never going to leave nor forsake us. You are never alone. You are never abandoned. You are never left to try to figure things out on your own. And then God says, well, you know, once you get it figured out, maybe I'll stop in. No, he is with you in the midst of the suffering and trials of life to comfort you, to multiply his grace into you, giving you the strength to overcome, to provide wisdom for you. And we must tap into this truth. Number two, I want to spend the next few minutes to talk about hope. It's interesting that Jake was talking about hope earlier, but we need hope. But hope isn't, hope and the biblical definition of hope and the Americanized version of hope have two different definitions. Hope in America is like this, it's almost like a wish. I, you know, maybe things will turn out, maybe they won't. But hope, according to a Greek man or a Hebrew man, was a confident expectation. This is going to happen. I'm expecting this to happen instead of like, well, whatever happens, happens. So as a believer and as a Christian, we have a biblical hope that something good for the future and we expect it to happen because we know that the Bible promises us that he, has a, that he has plans to give us a future and a hope. That God has a plan. He has a way through the storm, the adversity, or the opposition. I've met many people over the course of my ministry that say, you know, well, I struggle with hope. I struggle that I'm going to be let down. I struggle that God's not going to meet me there. And I certainly can understand where people come from in that they've been let down. And it's interesting to me that when things don't go our way, we're really quick to point to God, that God did something wrong instead of taking ownership of it of ourselves. But I want you to think about this thought. Um, I would argue that every single one of you extends this measure of hope, this confident expectation to not only one another, but to people that you've never met every single day. What am I talking about? Every single day that you get on I-95, well, I guess not I-95, but every single day that you get on the road, you trust that the person on the other side of the road that's going in the opposite direction isn't going to cross over the yellow line. Every single day, you're so confident in this hope that you check your phone sometimes while you're driving. You shouldn't be doing it. Make sure Brian Bean isn't here. So you're, not, you're, you're checking your phone. You're changing the station because that song is busted and you want to hear something different. This is how confident you are every single day when you get in your car that actually you can drink some coffee, have your purse around you, yell at one of the kids in the back, change the radio, and text message somebody that you're going to go see in about 30 minutes. Because you, you trust that that person isn't going to cro cross over that road. And what I'm saying is if you have that ability, how much more would it benefit you and bless you and prosper you if you were to connect it to God who is good, not to somebody who may be having a bad day, who may have a death wish, who may not be paying attention themselves, but this is something that you actually already exercise every single day. 
It's an interesting way to look at. The phrase endurance of hope is something I want to take a look at because it's mentioned in the Bible um, many times. And that word endurance is something that we all need to sustain the storms of life. There have been times, even in the midst of my, my father falling and me getting the news, and we didn't know if he was going to come out of the hospital. I didn't know if he was going to make it um, at first. And I remember feeling a heaviness and there was nothing I could do. I was like, what am I supposed to do? And I, I almost felt like my heart rate started to increase. And what I was doing is I was focusing on all the bad things that could happen. And I wasn't anchoring my faith. I didn't even have faith. I was just like processing everything that was coming at me. And I don't know if any of you can ever relate to that when you get that call of bad news. Maybe you were brought into your boss's uh, office and he said, hey, we're moving in a different direction, he or she, or we're letting you go. And all of a sudden you're like, whoa, I thought everything was cool and now it's not. Or maybe your boyfriend or girlfriend just said, you know, uh, I think we should just spend some time apart. It's not you, it's me, which is the most busted line. We've all used it, but it's the most busted line. Or the next line, like, I just feel like God is calling me somewhere else. So you throw God in the midst of it. Like, I like you, but it's God is the one that's telling me he's got something else for me. So you got to take it up with him. It's not me. Anything to avoid the blame or to take ownership for the decision. But we find ourselves in those places and we have nothing to pull from. We have nothing to draw from. We feel like we're on empty. We're coasting into this situation on fumes. How do we get out of the driveway? What are we going to do? You need endurance. And you know, the Greek word for endurance is uh, hypomone, hypomone. Uh, and it, it, it literally means steadfast. It's derived from a combination of hypo, meaning under, and the verb minio, like Andy minio, meaning to abide. So what are we under and what are we abiding in? That's going to determine where our endurance is or isn't. And when we're under fear, right, when we're given to anxiety, when we're given to thoughts of depression, that we have nothing to pull from, our car, our lives aren't going to go anywhere. But if we had a car and we're abiding at the gas station, we would have gas. Or if you're abiding with a Tesla and you're plugged in, then you have your electricity, right? And so I want to read this, John 15, 4. This is out of the ESV. Jesus, abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. When I got that news, when I was trying to figure out, am I going to fly out there? Who's going to take care of the kids? Is Jess going to be all right by herself? I was frantic and I was trying to figure things out in my own strength. And I realized that there was not enough strength in me to take care of this situation with my father, which resulted in me spinning my wheels, overthinking and dipping into anxiety and fear and becoming frantic. Because quite simply, I do not possess the strength nor the ability or the wisdom to overcome this situation. It's out of my wheelhouse. And as I began to, to slip into all these different thoughts, it was an indicator to me. It was like a red flag, a little red light on my dashboard that said, okay, I'm overworking my engine. I need fuel. What am I abiding in? And I, I came back and I spent time 
in God's word. I spent time in prayer. And I would love to tell you that I did it perfectly. Oh, I just noticed these frantic thoughts and then I slip right back in and I didn't give it one more worry. And I was just like, sunshine, lollipops and rainbows everywhere. And, but I didn't. I struggled. And then I, I found myself in a good place. And as I was worshiping, as I was spending time with, with God, then I started to, the enemy would try to come in. Oh, you're not taking it serious. You know, you're not paying attention to him. You're being selfish. So then I'd slip back into that other place of thinking like, I got to ruminate on this. I got to think on this. And then I'd bring myself back. So sometimes it, 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 it's a dance, but you have to get yourself back into the presence of God because in his presence is fullness of joy. See, the question I want to ask you today is what are you abiding in? Right? What are you abiding in? Are you abiding in entertainment? When you go through something difficult, when you get let go at work, when your girlfriend breaks up with you because God told her to, when, I think I used that line on Jess. Did I use that line when we went to Bible college? Um, but, um, you know, what are you abiding in? Are you abiding in substances? Do you turn to substances when things get difficult? Do you, do you turn to, to media? Do you turn to work? And just, I'm going to work my, I'm going to grind my way out of this. Or maybe you turn to food, whatever it is. The enemy will try to get you to direct your attention to the pleasures and comforts of this world. But the issue at hand is your problems don't change. So we must, and it doesn't give you strength. So we must be abiding in the branch. We must be abiding in God where he gives us the strength to overcome. William Barclay said this, endurance is not the ability to bear a hard thing, but to turn it into glory. And God is a God of redemption. God isn't just trying to get you through the storms of life in the adversity. So they say, whoo, well, we got through. He's building something inside of you. All that fear and all that worry and all of those thoughts as you, as you take them and you bring them into subjection to the word of God and you say, God, I have no clue how I'm going to get through this, but I'm giving it to you. It galvanizes your faith. It causes your trust and your roots to go deeper in him, instead of turning and numbing yourself with media or alcohol or the devil's lettuce or whatever it is, not dealing with the issues of life. God wants you to face them head on and he wants to walk through them with you because he's turning that thing that you're dreading, that you're afraid of into his glory. I think it was Ralph Waldo Emerson that said, we acquire the strength we overcome. Like Sun Tzu in Mortal Kombat. When we overcome, nobody Mortal Kombat fans, shouldn't play that game, it's busted. But um, when we go through these storms, when we, when we cross the line of feeling sorry for ourselves, we gain something that the enemy can never take away from us, nor can any man. We've learned to trust God in an area and all of a sudden our capacity has been enlarged and our trust and faith in him is at a different level. So the question is, how do you keep going month after month, years or even decades when there are emotional and relational, spiritual and financial obstacles. Maybe some of you have been like, I've been facing 
this ish in my marriage or with my parents or with my boyfriend or girlfriend for years and I haven't seen any resolve. I've been in debt for the past 10 years and I haven't seen one breakthrough. What do you do when encouragement seems to evaporate and you have nothing left in the tank? You need, the answer is you need hope. Without the endurance of hope, relationships, ministry, work, and life become disorienting. And when our eyes are fixed on the storms of life, on the adversity of life, on the challenges of life, we begin to magnify the problems instead of fixing our eyes on Jesus. I don't know if you remember when you were learning to ride a bike for the very first time, you're thinking all these things, okay? I got to keep the steering wheel like this, handlebars. I got to keep my legs pumping, but I also got to, I got to look up because you have a tendency to look down. And then all of a sudden, you know, your parents, you feel that, that hand come off of your back like this. And you're like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And you think you're going to have that ET moment, but it eludes you, but you're riding down and all of a sudden you see a tree and your mom and your dad's like, don't look at the tree. But what do you do? You look right at the tree. You're trying to avoid the tree, but you look at the tree. And as a result of fixing your eyes on the tree, you end up hitting the tree when you should be looking at the path, right? And when we walk through the storms of life, we tend to look at the bad things that are happening to us instead of Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Remember when Peter, when Jesus bid Peter to step out of the boat, he was walking on water, which was amazing because Jesus was the only one that had done it up to that point. Now here's Peter walking on the water and Peter made a boatload of mistakes, right? But here he is listening to Jesus. But when he started to look to the left and to the right, he started to see the, you know, the waves and the storms, he started to sink in. And that's an illustration for us that we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, not on the storm, magnifying it, making it big, spilling into anxiety, fear, and doubt, giving mental real estate to the problem instead of to the solution. See, what do I want to say? See, sometimes we think we know what God's plan for our life should look like. None of us would say this out loud, but if we're honest, we believe, if we're honest, we believe that life should be sunshine, lollipops, and unicorns, and rainbows everywhere. And the minute we come against adversity, which we're promised in Scripture, but the minute we come against it, we start to blame God or feel like He's abandoned us, right? Are there any real people in the house? Like, God, why did you start, like, you stopped giving me information. Like, why did you lead me here? And you know what? I want to take a look at the life of Job for a minute. Because I think Job really sums this up beautifully. And if you look at Job 23, 8 through 9, this is out of the new King James Version, the King Jimmy. So are you ready? It says, look, I go forward, but he is not there. And backwards, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. You see, when Job was in the thick of the struggle, he couldn't see God, no matter which way he looked. Look to the left, look to the right, look to his hands. Couldn't see God. I'm sure he felt like God hung him out to dry, especially as he's sharing this. Thankfully, these words don't mark the end of his story, though. And it's an interesting point that we, should, we can learn from Job is that whatever you're looking for, you typically find. In other words, 
if you've built a narrative inside of your mind that God has abandoned you, you'll find all kinds of clues that, that, that support and hold up that story. And that's why it's so important that we use the word of God as our anchor and the foundation, not making decisions based off of our experience, not making decisions based off of our fleeting emotions that can lead us like a wave tossed to and fro, but that we're, that we're, we're supported through scripture. Because in verse 42, all of a sudden Job's eyes are open. 42, three through six says, surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. I just want to leave you with this thought that perhaps as you go through these trials and you don't, you, you almost feel disoriented. You can't discern north, east, south, or west. That God has led you into this storm to develop something inside of you that's going, that you, not only you're going to need in the next season and chapter of your life, but that others around you need. And that there's something actually wonderful taking place behind the backdrop of what's in your peripheral view. God is at work behind the scenes. And that's the revelation that Job came to. When just previously he was questioning and doubting God, you've abandoned me, you've left me. Now all of a sudden Job's eyes have been opened and he's saying, man, there was something wonderful at work that I couldn't see in the natural. But I should have trusted in the supernatural. I should have tapped my faith into you. Not what I saw, not what I was experiencing, but my faith should elevate me above those things clinging to your word. Saints, that's where each and every single one of us has to be. And I'm not telling you that it's easy, but I'm telling you that God is at work with something wonderful for your life behind the scenes. See, Job talks about this idea of patient endurance. And patient endurance, these two words married together, in the New Testament alone are highlighted 49 times. Patient endurance. See, I've come to realize that everybody thinks they're they're patient. Most people say, I, I can be patient when I need to be patient. But let me just ask you this simple question. When was the last time you burned the roof of your mouth because you couldn't wait for the pizza to cool down? Maybe we're not as patient as we think we are. Patience isn't easy. When you think you've been patient long enough, you've actually missed the lesson of patience. I want to encourage each and every single one of you to double down on patience because patience is actually when the roots that you have go down into God. It's when you truly abide in the vine. It's when your faith and trust actually have to cling onto something. It's when you go from that moment that Jake was talking about, a hovering above the chair, so everybody that's walking by you looks like you're moving in faith, but you're really not because your butt hasn't touched the seat because you don't trust if it's actually going to be there. 
But faith is when you let go and you sit. And maybe nothing's happened. See, patience, patient endurance is illustrated all throughout the Bible. And I really will close with this. Jesus patiently endured the cross, right? He endured his critics. He, he endured the humility, the, you know, being humbled. He more than restored his reputation when he proved his claims by his resurrected life. David patiently endured the fallout from his adultery and murder. He had pushed himself to the point of no turning back on God, but ultimately turned back to God because he was a broken and humbled leader. When the Bible boasts that David is a man after God's own heart, you should actually be encouraged by that because it didn't mean that David was a perfect man. Because some of the dirt that David got into is is far worse than the dirt that you're going to get into. But it was that David had a repentant heart. That he was able to turn to Jesus in the midst, even if he couldn't see his sin, and Nathan had to bring it to him and say, yeah, that's terrible. That's you, David. That's you. And when David heard that, it broke his heart because he knows he had broken the heart of God. And that's where all of us need to be. It protects us. See, Satan's plan is to keep you reactive, resulting in a shallow faith. He wants you running here and running there and doing everything you can, this busyness, avoiding spending time with God where your faith is going to grow, where your trust is going to grow, where your patience is going to grow, where you're going to receive that wisdom in prayer. Remember, prayer is a dialogue. It's not a monologue, meaning God's going to share things with you that you need, that are going to sustain you for the seasons that lie ahead. He wants to speak to you. See, patience, ultimately, and godliness is the proof of the genuineness of a person's salvation. When we're not running to and fro, but we can keep our feet planted in the midst of the storms of life. I'm going to ask you to stand. I don't want to assume where any of you are in your walk with the Lord. I just merely want to present the opportunity that as I was sharing today, maybe something was happening inside of your heart. Something that said, I haven't heard the voice of the Lord in a very long time. Maybe you've never committed your life to the Lordship of Jesus. Maybe you're here because a friend invited you. Maybe you're here because you've come to church ever since you were a little kid and it's just the thing to do. But the Bible promises us that we can have an assurance of salvation. That if we confess with our mouth and believe with our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, it says we will be saved. And say we might be saved doesn't say we could be saved. Doesn't say, ah, it's 50-50 shot. It says you will. And I don't want to leave here today without give, providing you the opportunity to give your life to God who can do a much better job leading it than you or I can. God knows what makes you and what breaks you. He penned every moment of your life before a single day passed. He knit you together in your mother's womb. You aren't made in an assembly line in some factory in Kalamazoo, Michigan. He took his time with you and he wants to be in relationship with you.
and he wants to help excavate the dreams that he's placed inside of your heart. He wants to provide you with the grace to go beyond your natural ability so that you can run in this race. And so if that's you in this room and you say, man, I want to make a commitment to God. I want to give, surrender my life to Jesus. I just want you to raise your hand and I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I just want to say, you can put your hand back down. Thank you. This is the greatest decision that you can make. The greatest decision. The Bible says that all of heaven rejoices when one sinner repents. I just want to say this. It doesn't make you perfect. It doesn't mean that you're not going to make a mistake tomorrow. It just means that you've completely given yourself to Christ. Just as a bride walks down the aisle to give herself to that man, she's saying goodbye to all of her old boyfriends. And she's saying, I give myself to this one man forever. And this is what you're saying today. So I want everybody to repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending your son, Jesus. I thank you that he lived a perfect life. I thank you that he gave that life up on the cross for me. Father, I surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. I repent of my sin. I embrace the truth of your word above what I see, feel, and experience. Lord, I completely give myself over to you. And now I want to pray for you guys. Lord, you saw the hands that went up in this room. You saw the sincerity of heart. And I am asking right now, Holy Spirit, that you would flood their minds and their hearts with your love for them personally. That the revelation that the greatest ransom in the universe was paid for them would take root inside of their hearts. I pray that they would rest in the assurance of knowing that they don't have to face one day alone. That your Holy Spirit will guide them and comfort them through this life. And I pray that they would carry that presence out of the sanctuary and everywhere that they go. God, we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to say this. If you made that decision today, please, we want to connect with you. Meet us at Guest Central. We have a Bible. We want to get you connected inside of the church. Um, Thank you all for coming. Love each and every single one of you. Until next time, Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to the Pines Church Podcast, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.